make your way back to your seats. Let me just, let me just uh, use this as a bit of a training moment for those that might not understand or for maybe those who maybe have forgotten. If Jesus Christ in flesh was here today and he was giving direction for this service, there's nobody in the house that would say, come on, Jesus, wrap it up, let's move on. There's not one person that would sit there and be like, come on, Jesus. Church is supposed to be out at such and such time, and we were supposed to start with the music at 1030. You're messing up the show here. There's not a person in the room that would feel that way. And the reality is Jesus is in the room, and the reality is Jesus is the one directing the service. Oh, hallelujah. We want to be sensitive to his voice. We want to be led of the Holy Ghost. If God wants us to pray for an hour, we'll pray for an hour. If he wants us to pray for a couple hours, we'll pray for a couple of hours. At the end of the day, this service is not about me, and the service is not about you. It's not about my likes or your likes. It's not about your preferences or my preferences. It's not about what time I think it should start and what time I think it should end. And it's not about what time you think it should start or you think. It's all about what he wants. I said it's all about what Jesus wants. And whatever Jesus wants is what I want. And whatever Jesus wants, I hope, is what you want. Whatever it is, whatever direction, however long it takes, whatever he wants to do, God, we're just led of your spirit. You lead us and you guide us and you direct us. Somebody said amen. Amen, 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 amen. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen, amen. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus' name. Good to have the Olivers with us. We love and appreciate them, dear friends of ours. And uh, we just love and appreciate them. Glad they're worshiping the Lord with us in service today. All of our other guests that are here, thank you for being here. Amen. It's an honor, a privilege to have each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to talk today, speak today, teach today, preach today, communicate today. However it happens, we're just going to do it. Amen. I, just want, I want to talk about connect. Connect. Amen. Turn, turn to two or three before you're sitting and say, we need to connect like never before. Like never before. You may be seated. There's a few things I need to say today. I want to do so in a timely manner, but I also do not want to um, skip over and rush what the Lord would want to do. So in keeping all of that, uh, the tension of all of that, we're going to do our best to do what the Lord would have us to do. I, I want to begin today by just uh, quickly recapping. I, I feel so strong to recap uh, what we discussed on this past Thursday, if you were not here, and um, uh, as, as sort of a springboard for, for what I feel the Lord would, would want to talk to us about in this room today. For uh, We read in 1 Samuel, and you can uh, as well, 1 Samuel, uh, that because of the unsubmission and because of the sin of God's people, there was another nation by the Philistines that came to do battle against the Israelites, and the battle was put into array, and the Philistines defeated the people of God soundly. The Bible says there was two different battles. First battle, there was 4,000 of the Israelite soldiers that died. And then the second battle, there was uh, 30,000 of the Israelite soldiers that died in battle. Not only did that many people die in battle, but the Bible says that the Philistine army, the, uh, the enemies of God's people, they took the Ark of the Covenant 
The Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of the Lord dwelt. And so here they are defeating the Israelites and stealing the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of the Lord was. And so uh, an individual that was on the battlefield, he, he, uh, after seeing all of his comrades or many of his comrades dying, he, he, he fled the battlefield and he ran back to Jerusalem in order to tell the high priest who, whose name was Eli what has happened on the battlefield. And so he runs, uh, some people say 15 miles, 20 miles, whatever it was, and he gets there to the temple and he gets into the presence of Eli, the high priest, and he lets him know that uh, the Israelites have been defeated. We have been defeated, 30,000. 34,000 of our men are dead or dying on the battlefield. Not only that, Eli, but the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen. Not only that, high priest Eli, but your two sons, his two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas, were both killed on the battlefield that day. And the Bible says that the shock of that news coming to Eli, hearing that the Israelites have all died, they've been defeated, the ark had been taken, and his two boys have died. The Bible says that he falls off of his chair. The Bible says he was a bigger man, and when he fell, he hit his, his head and his neck in such a position that the weight of the fall breaks his neck, and he dies. But in the same room with him as all of this is happening and hearing the same news from this messenger that had come from the battlefield was the wife of the now deceased Phineas. So it was Eli's uh, daughter-in-law was in the room and she hears this and she hears that the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen and she hears that her husband is now dead on the battlefield and she watches as her father-in-law falls and dies and we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 19. Stay with me, I'm going quick. 1 Samuel 4 19 and his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife was with child and so she's in this room and the Bible says that she's with child near to be delivered so she's about to give birth at any moment, at any time. And when she heard the tidings, when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law was dead, she sees that happen, and that her, her husband is dead out on the battlefield, the Bible says she bowed herself over in travail for her pains came upon her. The shock of this news immediately puts her into labor pains and immediately she begins the birth process of this child. And then watch verse 20. The Bible says, and about that time of her death. So what this is telling us, that because of either the shock of the news or the there was had to have been some sort of complications with uh, the birth. And so as she's giving birth to a child, she herself is dying because of it. And the Bible says in verse 20, and about the time of her death, she's dying because of, uh, of, of what is transpiring in her body. The woman that stood by her, this is probably her handmaid or her servant, something like that. The woman that was by her says unto her, fear not, for thou hast borne a son. And so her handmaid's like, listen, you, 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 you've given birth, you've given birth to a son. But the Bible says that, that she answers not, neither did she regard it. She didn't even respond that she had a son. She didn't even respond to the fact uh, that she had given birth to this boy. Verse 21, and she named the child Ichabod. Everybody say Ichabod. I would not recommend you naming your child Ichabod. She named her child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. For that's what the name Ichabod means. The glory of the Lord has departed. 
because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law was dead and because her husband was dead and now she's dying and it's horrible and it's terrible and it's tragic and she gives birth under all of these circumstances and she names her boy Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed and so now here it is, this young boy has to grow up with with the name that means the glory has departed. His name signified the hurt, the loss, and the pain from which its inception was found. Here was an individual who knew what it was like every day of his life to live under the weight and the struggle of suffering and tears. He knew what it was like to live under the darkness of a past that he did not have the power to change. Anybody in the house live under the darkness of a past that you wish you could change, but you can't? Anybody ever struggled with that? So you know a little bit about what Ichabod was going through. He knew what it was like to carry out uh, about each day an understanding that some very precious things had been taken from him. His dad had died. His mom had died. His grandpa had died. Uncle had died. On and on and on. Precious things that had been stolen from him. Ichabod, you're no good. Ichabod, you're a failure from a family of failures. And there's nothing you can do to change any of it. And as sad and as sorrowful as that story is, I did not come to preach a negative message today. For it is important to understand another portion of Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 3. 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 3. It just says it in passing. If you read it too quickly, you miss it. But the Bible says, And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Two brothers, Ichabod and Ahitub. Now we know that Ichabod's name means the glory of the Lord has departed. We know that Ichabod's very life was probably uh, been shaped in some form or fashion by this feeling of unworthiness and dishonor and disgrace and shame. And yet the Bible tells us that Ichabod has a brother. And his brother's name was Ahitub. And it is necessary for us to know today that the name Ahitub means my brother is good. My brother is good. My friend, when Ichabod had a name that signified his hurt and his loss and his pain, he had a brother who believed him to be good. Come on, somebody. When Ichabod thought himself to be worthless, he had a brother that believed him to be good. When Ichabod counted himself as unworthy and counted himself as unfit and no good, he had a brother that said, no, 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 I see goodness all over you. Ah, you might think, well, that's just a cute little play on words and the meanings of names, and that was kind of cool for Ichabod, but I want you to hear me. Every one of us in this room are going to feel like Ichabod from time to time. Where's the rest of you? Every one of us in the room are going to feel like Ichabod from time to time. Every one of us are going to feel unworthy. Every one of us are going to feel unfit. Every one of us are going to feel no good from time to time. Every person in the room is going to feel shame and guilt and hurt from time to time. Therefore, knowing that there's going to be some Ichabods in the church, myself, from time to time, we must also make sure that there are some Ahitubs in the church as well. 
Why? Because we need some brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, who will go to those that are filled with shame uh, and those to those that are messed up uh, and go to those that have failed uh, and go to those that are down uh, in order to let you know I know you've fallen uh, and I know you made some mistakes uh, but I just want you to know uh, I still think there's goodness in you. I still think there's goodness on you. Hear me. We're not sweeping what you did under the rug. We're not pretending like it didn't happen. No, we just want to help restore you. We just want to counsel you. We just want to love you. We just want to protect you. Because in spite of what you may have done, we still see goodness on you. My brother is good. Come on, this needs to be a church that has the capacity to believe in people for what they will be and not for what they may have been in the past. Or else we're not going to get anybody in the church that has a past. Come on, if God's going to send us the broken, this needs to be a place of love. This needs to be a place of compassion where we put our arms around those that are bound by shame and failure and guilt and say, you're still good. I don't see you as a failure. I don't see you as a mess up. I don't see you as unfit. I see goodness on you. Come on, we're not going to view you through the lens of your mistake and we just ask that you don't view me through the lens of my mistakes either. We need to let one another know I see goodness all over you. Somebody in the house needs to know that here's what I feel about you and here's what a bunch of other people feel about you. Your call is greater than your mistake and your anointing is greater than your failure and your ministry is greater than your bad decisions. I'm your brother and I want you to know I think you're good. Come on, somebody praise him. Come on, don't hold things over people's heads. Don't hold their mistakes over them. Why? Because you've got some mistakes too. Let's just be a church that desires within us to say we're going to find goodness on everybody. Well, didn't you hear what they did? Yeah, but what did you do? And that's where the conversation ends right there. Didn't you hear what they did? Yeah, but it wasn't near as bad as what I did, so I'm just going to show them goodness because I'd like somebody to show me some goodness. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I mean, no, it's a whole lot easier to forgive others when you remember how much you've been forgiven. So, that was recap. Everybody good? So it is that since Thursday, I could not shake. We might slip into teaching mode here a little bit, but I could not shake this burden of the great need that we have for one another, brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
For I feel strongly to combat the lie from the enemy that tries to convince us that we do not need to strongly connect ourselves to a local church body. I want to combat the lie that's doing its best. Might get a little quiet for a minute. But the lie that is doing its best to convince us that just showing up a few Sundays out of the month is all that God really requires of us. I want to combat the lie that's telling us that we are connected when we just show up right at church time and leave right at dismissal. For we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we truly connected to this local church family? Or is this just the place we attend church services? Because how many know there's a big difference between being a part of the church family and this just being a place where we attend church services? Do we truly have a pastor? Or do we just have someone we allow to preach to us every once in a while? Because how many know there's a difference? Are the people sitting around us right now just fellow members of a congregation or are they truly our brothers and sisters in the Lord? And a good test to determine that is if you look around and realize you only know about four people's names. I told you it was going to get a little quiet. Is God's vision over this church something we just know about? Or is it something that we are actively helping to accomplish? Is reaching up and reaching out and reaching in something we just say on Sundays? Or is it something we are living out on a daily basis? And probably... One of the greatest litmus tests to determine our view of the church and how we view the church is to honestly assess how much we've received from this place versus how much we have given to this place. I had another preacher talking about money. I'm not talking about money. Totally. <laughs> Merely. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if your treasure is not here, it means your heart's not here. And if your heart's not here, how could this be your church? But do we view this place as merely being where we go to be strengthened? Where we go to be renewed? Where we go to be helped? where we go to be ministered to, or do we view this place as the place we have determined to invest our time, our talents, and our treasure, and our ministry, and our calling, and our lives. You see the difference? Because when this is your church, it's not about what you get from it. It's about what you're giving to it. Oh, hallelujah. 
And so that, that's a good determination for how you view us and how you view this building or the, these people in this room is when you come to church on Sunday, do you come with an expectation to receive or do you come with an expectation to give? For to believe the lies of the enemy is to respond to these questions that we're asking today or hopefully we're asking today by saying that we can still be believers without really connecting ourselves to the local church. You know, preacher, I don't, I don't, I don't really have to involve myself strongly with a local church in order to be what God wanted me to be. But I believe the book would speak truth to that lie when it says this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 Acts 2 42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles verse 44 and all that believed were what together I want you to notice it was the believers that connected themselves to the other believers that witnessed the greater signs, wonders, and miracles. Is that what it said? But more importantly than that, it was the believers that were together with the other believers that were the ones who were put in a position to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, connection, community. I want you to see that there is a divine and a biblical connection between staying firm in this glorious apostolic message and being in fellowship with the believers. That's what the book says. For it is impossible to be steadfast in the message if you don't have fellowship. And it is impossible to have fellowship and not stay steadfast <laughs> in the message. Every single person I know that left the apostolic message has also left apostolic fellowship. Everyone. Why? Because God set it up in his word for there to be a divine connection between apostolic fellowship and apostolic doctrine. And because I don't want to walk away from apostolic doctrine, then I can't walk away from apostolic fellowship. And I can't walk away with my connection with you as my brothers and my sisters in the Lord. And because I don't want to walk away and because I don't want you to walk away from this apostolic message, then I'm encouraging you to get connected with the church like you've never got connected to the church in your life. It is important. Well, preacher, I just, I just don't believe that to be true. Because I, I, I believe I can, I can be who God has asked me to be 
and I can do what God has asked me to do without being truly knit together with a local body of believers. Well, the word of the Lord, again, would disagree with you. For the book of Romans, and we've, we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. The book of Romans encourages you and I to prefer one another. Be of the same mind one to another. Do not judge one another. Edify one another. Receive one another. Admonish one another. Corinthians would tell us to care for one another. Greet one another. Galatians and Ephesians would tell us to serve one another. To don't provoke one another. To bear one another's burdens. To forgive one another. To submit to one another. To not lie one to another. Hebrews tells us to exhort one another. To consider one another. James tells us to grumble. Do not grumble against one another. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. First Peter would tells us, tell us to have hospitality one for another. First John would tell us to have fellowship one with another. And so here's my question. How can we be disconnected from the body of Christ and still be obedient to the word of the Lord? If it takes us being one with another to be obedient to all of those scriptures, then how in the world can we be obedient to those scriptures and be disconnected from the body of Christ? It's impossible. So don't believe the lie that's telling you that you can be who God called you to be and you can do what God has called you to do and still be disconnected from the body of Christ because that is a lie from the devil himself. It is impossible to fulfill the full, hear me now. How many want to do what God has called you to do? It is impossible to do that if you are not connected with the church. But when we are connected, we position ourselves in a place to begin walking in the fullness of God's purpose and God's plan for our lives. When we are connected to the church. In fact, I believe that's one of the main reasons why the enemy is fighting some of us so hard. Even in this room today, he's fighting some of you so hard to keep you from getting truly connected to the church. And the reason is because he does not want you to fully become who God has intended for you to be. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The enemy knows better than most of us in this room. If they ever get connected to the body, they're going to find their purpose. If they ever get fully connected with the body, they're going to find the ministry God's called them to fulfill. If they ever get connected with the body, they're going to find what God had created them to do since the day they were born. So you know what he does? He whispers his lies that say, you don't really have to connect. You don't really have to go there. That's not really expected of you. You, you can live for God and not really be a part of the church. It's okay if you just come every once in a while. You don't really have to support this, that, and the other. You don't have to give to the mission program. You don't have to give to the building stuff. They're fine all by themselves. You don't have to get connected. And we believe those lies and it keeps us from the plan of God for our lives and the enemy laughs all the way but my friend I want to encourage somebody 
if you truly want to do what God's called you to do, if you really want to be who God's called you to be, the first thing you need to do is get connected to the church like you've never been connected before. Because the enemy is absolutely terrified of you connecting to the church because he knows the moment you do is the moment it's, you're going to get engaged to the purpose and the plan of God and the ministry for which you've been called to fulfill. That's why he's fighting you so hard. I know there's reasons why some of us can't make it to church on Thursdays. I was just going to get quiet now. But I also know there are probably people that could be here on Thursdays, but it just would be inconvenient. It's inconvenient. You can make it. If somebody gave you Cubs tickets, oh, buddy. Bulls tickets, whatever. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rush right home after work. I'm going to take a two-minute shower. I'm going to have my clothes laid out. I'm going to jump in those, jump in the car, and I'm going to make it to the Bulls game. Why? Because it's not inconvenient when it's what we want to do. It becomes an inconvenience when it's something we don't really want to do. And so that should show us our involvement and what we think about the church. I could make it. I, 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 I might not, if I could get there at prayer, I'd be there at prayer. But I might not even just realistically, time-wise, I might not even be able to make But I could get there at 720. I could get there at 730. You know what? It would require this, that, and the other, and you know, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to eat dinner. So my flesh is more important than what happens in the spirit realm. I mean, there's a, there's a Culver's right there. There's a Chick Fil A right there. There's a Panera Bread right there. Portillo's right there. Just saying. We do what we want to do. We sacrifice for the things we want to sacrifice for. Things that are important to us, we make them happen. And that should let us know, that should let us know where we are as it applies to our connection with this church. By what we are willing to sacrifice in order to be here. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And listen, it's going to get real quiet now. Please do not, do not, do not tell. I don't want to embarrass her and I don't think she will be. But please do not tell or speak so that Sister Favel can hear you about all of the stuff you have to do to get ready to come to church. She wouldn't say nothing. Because she's sweet like that. But every service that he was able, she'd get her paralyzed husband in the wheelchair, put a suit on that man, put the Bible in his hands that he couldn't read, which I love. Put him into that van push him through that house, push him up into that van, load him up, 
close everything up, drive to the house of the Lord, push him in here. So when we've got our excuses that, well, you know, I got kids, just don't say that around certain people. And, 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 just, I'm trying to be careful right now. You, we have to understand what do we view this place as? And not just the building, but what do we view the people of God in this room as? You see, here, and here's the other, here's, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Stick with your notes, Anthony. Listen, we, we don't have, we don't have, our church is so spread out. Minish, a ton of ministry happens. Uh, and not even really before church, even though because we get here and pray and we're praying 30, 45 minutes, today was an hour. And so we're ministering to one another in prayer. But how, how many know there's, there's those moments after church? You know, there's some people live 45 minutes from us. We can't just have coffee with them. We can't, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. And we, could, we can meet those challenges for sure. But this is such a prime time for all of us when we're here. After church, to be able to connect with the body of Christ. To be able to minister to the body of Christ. To be able to fellowship with the body of Christ. Now listen, I know some of you may be offended by this statement. I apologize, but, but I, I believe it to be true. After church is a tremendous time to minister one to another. But we can't be the minister that God called you to be if right at dismissal you go home. It's true. And there's people, there's people that only you can minister to. There's people whose needs that only you can meet. And those, those needs are going to be met in a conversation and putting your arm around them and having a 10 or 15 minute conversation with them, letting them know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, how much you're there for them, on and on and on and on and on. But so many times we say, well, I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to go home. I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do the other. None of those things is more important than what God has called you to do as a minister. And all of us are ministers. And it's quiet right now. Now, I'm just going to say this. We, I know we got, we got a, 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 a plethora of little babies around here, and it's an awesome thing. And I, I typically don't get involved with parenting and all that. That's not my role. You're the parent. I'm the pastor. I don't get involved in a bunch of stuff, parenting. You, you parent how you, you feel. But I, I do feel like I have a, a responsibility when it, when it comes to things involving spiritual matters to at least give you what my thought is on some things. And my thought is this. I realize our services can be long. I realize Thursday nights we pray, whatever. I realize you've got little kids and, and they've got bedtimes that, you know, you have chosen. This is my bedtime. And, and if they don't get in bed at a certain time, they get grouchy or they get whatever. Or school or whatever. Let me tell you something. Just let me, let me just say this. 
I lost count of how many Thursday nights I fell asleep on the pew. Those used to be green pews. Because my mom and dad were counseling people in the office. I lost count. Here's what we would do. The vents up there in the winter, uh, me and my brothers, we'd get our uh, sport coats or jackets or whatever, and we'd go over and we would lay on the ground over those vents, and we'd pull our coats over so to keep all the hot air in, and we'd fall asleep. I can't tell you how many times I fell asleep over those vents back there because my mom and dad were staying until 10, 11, whatever at night to counsel people and help people. I can't tell you how many times. And guess what? I turned out okay. So did my brothers. We got three pastors. Listen, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I just, I just maybe want you just to shift your thinking on it. Because, you know, I, I know, yeah, I was tired, whatever. I just went to sleep. Just go to sleep. If you're little kids, put them on the pew. Go to, let them go to sleep. But the reality is, looking back on that now, I didn't know if I fully understood it then. I think I did. But even, even today, and I'm way off my notes, but even today, I understood the value and the preeminence that my parents put on ministry. Now, here's the other thing. You say, well, I, I, thought, I thought ministry comes under family. It does. We are to put our family before ministry. God, family, ministry. Okay? But listen, it wasn't every single night. I wasn't getting to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning as a 6-year-old every single night. It was one night out of the week. And really, honestly, if your kids get home 30 minutes later than what their posted bedtime is, in the long run, that's not really going to make a difference at all. And you say, well, that's what your parents did. That's what my wife and I did as well. And my kids are, eh. Love you guys. I'm just saying, this isn't something that, 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 that I would ask you to do and that we wouldn't do ourselves. My wife and I, for years, have been some of the last ones to leave. Why? Because there's hurting people and there's broken people and there's people that have needs. And we understand that if our kids on one night out of the week get to bed a little bit later than, than what they do the rest of the nights each week, it's not going to be the end of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Well, thank you. I feel a little, you're just, you're just going to have to filter that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you just need to think about the fact that maybe at some point it might be one of your kids that needs some help after church. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm preaching good. So if it was one of your kids that needed help or if it was your marriage, you would love for somebody to stay a little bit later on a Thursday to help you out of your mess. Uh -huh. All right. 
Come on, if you're going through a rough time and you don't have answers to your questions, you thank God for a brother or a sister in the Lord that says, hey, my kids will be fine. They'll fall asleep on the pew. They'll be fine tomorrow. When they get home, I'll put them, take them a little nap and everything will be fine. What's your problem? How can I help you? How can I minister to you? How can I strengthen you? You're going to thank God that somebody is willing to make some sacrifices for 30 minutes in order to speak life into you and let you know you're my brother and I see goodness on you. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Give them praise. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So we find, so we find our, our calling in the body of Christ and because we're connected to the body of Christ, that's the only way you're ever going to find your calling and your purpose is if you're connected to the body of Christ. The Bible would say it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So what's that talking about is this. We are the body of Christ, but in the body, each individual person is a particular member of the body. Right? The finger is not the body. The eye is not the body. The elbow is not the body. They are members of the one body. That is us. You are not the body by yourself. I am not the body by myself. We are simply members of that one body. And then a little later we read in 1 Corinthians 12 and 21, watch. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to say to the feet, I have no need of thee. You see, this is exactly the revelation that I believe God's trying to give us this morning is that it is impossible for one member of the one body to say they don't need to be connected to the other members of that one body and still be able to fulfill their function. You tell me, the eye says, I don't need the rest of you. How's the eye going to do what it's been called to do? If it's just flopping, man, it wouldn't even flop. If it's just rolling around. Sorry, that was a little gross. Honestly, if the ear, if the ear's just laying on the ground saying, I don't need the rest of you. I don't need the rest of you. I'm just going to do what I've been called to do. No, you're not. You're not. You're not going to be able to hear. The only reason the ear can hear is because it's connected to the body. The old man, I'm teaching good right now. The only reason the eye can see is because it's connected to the body. The only reason the hands can work is because it's connected to the body. If you want to do what God has called you to do, if you want to be who God's called you to be, the only way you can do it is if you are connected to the body of Christ. If you're disconnected, you're going to die. But if you're connected, you're going to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. Come on, somebody praise him. Praise him. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to skip some stuff. I'm going to skip some stuff. Everybody good? Can you stay with me just a little bit longer? I've skipped some stuff. Believe it or not, I've skipped some stuff. So it is that I heard the other day Brother Rima, I, I, I did a little study and, and heard some stuff about the, the giant redwoods. And some of you have heard this before, I'm sure. 
But the giant redwoods, uh, different uh, groves, they, they grow in groves, and actually they're called families. These groves, they call them a family of these redwood trees. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know much about all this stuff, but just the little bit I do know is that most trees, especially bigger trees, most trees put their roots way far deep down, way deep. But these redwoods, which are some of the largest trees in the world, they're not little small things. They are some of the largest trees in the entire world. Their roots only go down between three to six feet. The largest trees in the world. You would think, man, in order to be stable and with the winds and all that kind of stuff, some of these trees are over 300 feet tall. That's a big tree. You would think, man, those roots have got to go down at least twice that, at least maybe 400 or 500 feet down, in the, whatever it is, I don't know. But they, you, that's what you would think. But they go down between three to six feet. You want to know why? Because there's no redwoods that grow by themselves. They grow in families, in community. And here's what they do. Come here, two boys. Come here, run. Run. You're walking. You're still walking. Stand over here. Right here, Bob. So these redwoods, the reason, they only put their roots down three to six feet. But what they do is, is this redwood tree, he puts his down three to six feet. This redwood puts it, his puts it, but they interlock. All of the root systems interlock in the family. And because the wind can't blow down an entire family, then the wind can't blow down a single tree. Well, I don't need my brothers and I don't need my sisters. You absolutely do. When you interlock with a brother or a sister in the Lord, the winds may come. And because hell can't destroy the entire church, then hell can't destroy an individual in the church if they've connected them. If they've connected themselves with one another, there's no devil in hell that can blow it away. Stay right here. Woo! Somebody said amen. I'm, 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 I'm the runway, I see it. Now, this is something else, and so I just got intrigued now about these, about these redwoods, and I found that there's a little bit of science, and I don't want to get too confusing. I hope I make sense. But I found it interesting that the molecular makeup of a redwood tree was far more extensive and it was far more varied than even the molecular makeup of human beings. And as I'm reading this botanist and he's just explaining this stuff, I about started shouting. I'm like, this guy's preaching and he don't even know it. Because this redwood expert said that the diversity and the uniqueness of each tree was vital to the health and the stature of the entire grove. And the reason was because from time to time, 
there are things that would attack the family. It could be a certain type of bug. It could be a certain type of disease. It could be a certain type of infection. A multitude of other attacks that would have the ability to destroy the trees. And he said that certain of these infections and certain of these uh, bugs and certain of these diseases, this tree in its molecular makeup does not have the ability in and of itself to defend against. But this tree has the defense against the thing that's fighting against the whole. This one don't have it. This one don't have what's necessary to, affect, to, a, to defend itself from this particular attack. But this one does have it. And because this one has it. And because this one is connected to this one. And this one is connected to this one. Then whatever this one has, this one has. And this. So what one tree did not have because it was connected to the one that had it, it's able to withstand the attack. I'm here to tell somebody, we are members of one body and there's attacks that are gonna come against me that I don't have the ability to defend. But because I'm connected with Pastor Tim and because I'm connected with Brother Rodis and because I'm connected to Sister Vivian, what I don't have, she's got it. And because I'm connected to her, I've got it. So whatever the attack is, it can't touch me. It can't affect me. It can't stop me. Why? Not because of what I have, but because of what she has. <sighs> Woo! That's why we've got to be connected with the body of Christ. Stay standing and I'm done. Stay here, boys. They also say, they also say it's been proven, scientifically proven, that they have watched and they have studied redwood trees. Come on, Jesus. Redwood trees that from all intents and purposes, from an outside perspective, they were dead. No leaves, no life, no sap. All intents and purposes, they were dead. But <laughs> they were still, they were still connected. And it might not have happened overnight. And it might have took a little while. But they studied that tree. And they looked at that tree. And the botanist surveyed that tree. And after a little while, they started seeing a little green. Put a little hole in it, a little sap came out. They began to see life. And the next year there was more life. And the next year there was more life. Until eventually it didn't look like the tree had ever been dead at all. 
It wasn't because of what was in the tree. It was because the tree was connected to the family and life flowed from him to me and life flowed from him to me and when I felt like I was dead and when I felt like it was over thank God I stayed connected to a people that loved me cared for me supported me that's why we need to stay connected to the family I prophesy in the Holy Ghost life is going to flow into dead places today I prophesy life into dead places today I prophesy life into dead marriages and dead homes and dead relationships and dead ministries and dead callings life and death are in the power of the tongue I speak life into you today and because you're here because you're connected you're going to receive life can almost see it. Dead things sprouting in this room right now. I can almost see it. Life. Life pushing its way back through. Life coming forth again. What looked like hopeless. What looked like was hopeless. What looked like was dead. What looked like a ministry that was going nowhere. Now life. Why? Because you're connected. Lift your voice. Mm. Ah, something powerful is moving in this room. Something powerful is happening in this room right now. <laughs> something powerful is happening in this room right now. There's a life-giving flow that's happening in this room right now. Life is coming. Come on, this church believes in you. This church sees goodness all over you. We're not going to let go of you. Just don't let go of us. I said, we're not going to let go of you. Yeah, you made a mistake, but we're not letting go. Yeah, you failed, but we're not letting go.
Yeah, you did some things you regret, but we are not letting go of you. Just make sure you do not let go of us. I know it feels dead inside, but if you'll stay connected to us, life is gonna grow once again. So here's what I feel to do. Maybe you need something. Maybe there's some deadness inside of you and you do need. But you're going to get it when you connect. So here's what I want us to do. And I don't want you to necessarily just pick the closest person or the person that's most convenient. I want you to be led of the spirit. Maybe it might be multiple people or whatever. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But I want to release you right now to make your way to where somebody else is in this room, somebody you're burdened for, somebody you feel to pray with, somebody you want to connect with. And I want you to take them by the hand or put an arm around a shoulder, interlock arms in some way, form or fashion. Let there be a point of connection. And I want you to come to this altar with that person. And when you get here, I don't want you to kneel down. I don't want you to bow down. I want you to stay connected with that individual. And I want you to begin to pray one for another. And as you pray, life is going to... As you pray, words of life are going to enter into that person. As you pray, words of healing are going to enter into that person. As you pray, life-giving source is going to flow from you to them. They don't have what it takes, maybe. They don't have what they need right now. They're short in some areas. There's some areas of weakness. There's some areas of struggle. There's some areas of emptiness, very possibly, in that person. But what you have to know is that you have what they need. (laughs) You have what they need they need and they have what you need that's how God set this whole thing up to be